Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. All right, we're back again. Brand new year, brand new situation, I hope. We got uh, All About the Pod this is episode one. Season two, episode one. Season two. Well, I said a, a new right. year. Yeah, so, so I think you got to do that. You got to do that. We got to start one. that again. All right, that works. Season two, episode one. That makes it sound like we're really... For real. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm sitting around the table with Mark Abney and Eric Prosco, and we're sitting here just kind of kind of getting caught up a little bit because, what one, we don't see each other very much, at least unless you're in the same vehicle with me going to a meeting. Oh, no, Scott. I feel like we're married. <laughs> I see you every day. I haven't seen Prosco uh, much. Yeah, there's, no, but there's some rumors going around about you two, but that's another story. Well, we're you know. A different podcast. <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, we do spend a lot of time. Brothers from another mother. There you go. It's funny you say that, you know, with... Uh, you know, Culpepper and I over the years have we you know we trans I don't know why we transitioned away. When I first got here, I was doing more uh, crop meetings with the with the peanut with whoever the agronomist was at that time or corn and soybeans. And then for some reason, it switched, and so now we got into doing this weed meeting separately. So people ask me all the time about well, me, you and Culpepper are always together, and we're like, not really. We don't really see each other until we go to meetings because we're both yeah. on. Yeah, he's got his thing. I got my thing. But then we get together for the meetings, and we're driving together. And then when we leave, we go back to doing what we're whatever we're doing. So it's yeah. And we have for the for the people out there, you know, we're talking about this because we're knee deep in them. We're about halfway, a little over halfway through with meetings right now. And I think we have on the books about forty five extension production meetings in the counties. uh, Not to mention all of the other meetings we have to go to. Uh, whether that's national meetings or or industry or even our consultants uh, that we go and talk with sometimes. So we are on the road quite a bit. So if you can't get us in our office, that's probably why, which most of us are not in our office anyway, um, no matter what time of year it is. But Eric, you, you brought up something interesting a while ago. You know, uh, you know, we have days, I set our meeting days up so that we have either two or three meetings a day. Um, and we got 18 working days that we do that through from January to March. And we did that for the reason that you mentioned just a while ago, because if we go and do one meeting, no matter, unless you're within a county of us, explain what you're talking about. Oh, so I was, uh, we were talking about how we set up meetings and I've kept track over the years since I've, you know, I've been here. This will be my 25th grower meeting season. And so I always keep track of how many people are there and how many meetings we do and and when I try to schedule meetings, trying to do it strategically, but historically it takes about for one meeting, it takes about 5.3 hours. If you want to get exact when you do it on an average. So it takes a lot. So if you did like in our case, somewhere around 40, that's 200 hours that we're spending in the truck. And if, you know, if you figured a 40 hour work week, right, that's uh, what, uh, five weeks, yeah, not that we work forty hours. By the way, most of us work more than that around here. So, but if you did, it would be uh, two hundred hours yeah. spent doing uh, grower meetings. And I, I've had several people ask, "Why in the world would you want to schedule three meetings like y'all do?" You know, because if we got to go to 
Like, well, let's let's take going to Scriven County, Scriven, Bullock, and one other county over there. We got to leave here what four in the morning, and we get back at midnight. Um, why do you do that? Well, it's tough on us, yes, but we do that because we're trying to make it more efficient, right. and that's that's something we're trying to do to kind of make it where we can get around a little bit I try easier. To, when we're going over that side of state, I try to stay over there if, if I can, just so I don't drive all as I've gotten older. And I would I would put a, a plug out for the peanut commission. It would be a much worse situation if we had to do our own driving. We do get to ride, or at least yeah, I get to ride. Nice. Yeah. So they, they do ship us around, you know, run us around uh at these meetings. So the peanut commission does a good job there and we do appreciate that. Um but let's let's talk about we're getting started in a brand new year and we just come out of one hell of a year. And, you know, I'm spending a lot of time and a lot of people might, might go to sleep on that during these meetings, but I'm trying to spend a lot of time trying to explain what happened. And we do that every year, but this year's been so much more important to explain it because we had so many things hitting us this year that, yeah, we needed to kind of spend some time on it and let growers know that, hey, you didn't do that much wrong. And because I don't want people to think that, they lost all that yield last year because of a management practice. Now, they could have. I'm not saying the individuals couldn't have had problems, but I'm talking about on average, we lost a bunch of yield and we had nothing to do with it. And so that's one thing that we're spending a lot of time on. Um, that's got to be super frustrating to hear too, right? When you hear that message, like you've done, you think you've done everything you could and then just the weather situation kind of. It was bad. It was bad. That's I mean, that's not to mention, you know, what happened with the with the insects or disease or tomato spotted wilt. I mean, we had all kind of things. So, um, we do have a lot of people um, asking, well, what are we going to do this year? What is what is our approach? And I said, well, the first thing to do is just go back to what you were doing in the basics. You know, make sure you're doing everything that you recommended. Um and don't just necessarily uh, give up on something because you tried it last year and it didn't work. And I'm talking about the basic stuff. I'm talking about changing fungicide programs or when you plant it or whatever it might be. I mean, it's it's a situation that I just want to discard last year for some for the most part because even though we learned a lot, we typically don't see that kind of an impact from the weather that many times in one year. Now. If that's the norm, we're we gotta readjust some stuff, but I don't think that's gonna be the norm. Okay. But you said you had something you wanted to talk I about, have, right? I have a couple of things and it's based on uh, what's going on at the meetings that we're doing. Uh first I wanna talk because we're you because know, we're in February now, right? Today and it's what the first or the second? Second. So it's February second, so it's Pretty soon, everybody's going to be rolling. We're probably got some folks fo rolling in Southwest Georgia, getting ready to plant sweet corn. But I wanted to just spend a minute talking about pre-plant burndowns for peanuts. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking about it now instead of waiting until the last minute. Uh, I guess what 25 percent of our peanut crops got is drip uh, tilled, right? So we're going to have to pre-plant burn down with something to manage those weeds. As you drive around South Georgia, of course, you see wild radish everywhere. That's the yellow flowered weed that's all over the state some people call it wild mustard or but it is technically wild radish there's di they're different species and so just want to remind you what the our recommendations would be in general and and the recommendations that we have would be 
good on most of the weeds. We we have more than wild radish. There's henbit and ryegrass and red sorrel. There's you know, there's numerous weeds, chickweed, all kind of winter weeds that are out there. Could be out there now, and, and generally what we recommend will control most of those. And you're, and you're talking about if you're a reduced tillage. That's correct. Guy. I'm talking about strip tillage. Because I've already seen some people in the field going ahead and disking for the first time and cleaning things up yep. a little bit. I'm talking about pre-plant burn downs for strip till growers. And typically our rec- general recommendation will be to use either Roundup or Paraquat as your primary burn down. Then put a pint of 2,4-D amine in there to help you with the radish. And then lately I've been recommending that we try to slip two ounces of Valor in with that pre-plant burn down. And what that Valor is going to do is give us residual control between now or between the time that the application is made and when they actually get back in the field. Uh-huh. Right. And if we don't, if we don't do that, let's say uh, I spray and maybe it's going to be in March. Uh, let's say I spray and I don't put out Valor and we have a warm spring. You're liable to get a flush of pigweed in there between the time you spray and when you actually plant. And if you're delayed for whatever reason and you get, oh, then you get back to the field, then your pigweed's going to be a foot tall. And then that's a whole nother, we're going to have to do something else. So having that valor in there is going to give you residual control of pigweed. And we can put two ounces there and we can still use two ounces later at planting behind the press wheel. Okay. So it hasn't hurt anything, but it has protected you against uh, early emergence of pigweed. Because we have seen, depending on the spring, you know, we'll see some pigweed, especially in the southwest corner, right? We'll see some pigweed coming up pretty early. Pretty early. So let me talk about strip till. All right. I know our southwest guys, except for I'm still getting a little bit of an echo unless I'm right up on it. Um in the south, you know, the southwest is predominantly south western part of the states predominantly are are heavy intensive tillage areas, and then you get outside of that, that's reduced tillage. I know what Grady County, I think Grady County. Well, no, uh, no, Brooks, quit, Brooks, Brooks County. County. Brooks County is heavy, heavy on the reduced tillage. Now, let me. Part of what happened last year, and again, I don't want to talk about last year from the fact that we're we're wanting to change up, but from the fact that we were cool. And we typically do have cool snaps in April. And I mean, we're not even warming up really in April unless we have a warm, you know, warm front come through. But the last part of April, first part of May, there is potential for cool snap in any given year. So if I'm a reduced tillage guy and I really would like to plant early, make use of April or even May, you know, the first week of May, what changes in your mind as far as herbicides, if I want to go in there and rip (laughs) and till up that 12, 14 inch band in order to, to kind of freshen up fluff up that that center where I'm going to plant so that my soil will warm up enough that I won't won't have as much of a Mm -hmm. problem. You know, I know we got some people that's tied together, the rip, strip, all that's tied together. Mm -hmm. That kind of knocks them out of this situation because, and what I'm getting at is reduced tillage. If we're cool and wet, guess what? You're going to be cooler for a longer period of time. But if we can get in there and strip ahead, Mm -hmm. Which one, how far ahead can we strip? Is it two weeks? Is it three weeks? And be able to put something out and it hold until we plant. What What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I think that would depend a lot on what they were stripping into. When we talk about strip tillage, there's <laughs> different kinds. We've got growers that are stripping into some, you know, maybe a cover crop that was planted. It could be wheat or most usually rye. 
or a lot of times a strip till is just weeds, right? So I think it depends on on what would be there. If you got a thick cover crop versus a, a some type of winter weeds that that's you know maybe sporadic or not as not not like a plant and rye crop. So uh, I think if if you were going to do it, say in a rye situation. It's, it might be challenging, right? Because you've got the rye that you've got to. We got to kill you, it ahead, right, too. Right. So yeah. normally we're going to do all that in one. If they're if they're what normally happens if you're planting in the rye, I know like some people in Scriven County that are doing that. They'll they'll roll it right. So then they're they're either spray they're spraying behind the roller or in front of the roller and then rolling it. So, um, I think that would it could be challenging depending on what they were stripping into. It'd probably be easier to get herbicides. Uh, in a, now we do spray that, right? They do get there. Um, but if you sprayed it before, like just take, take Valor, say you sprayed it before on a cover and then you came in and stripped, you would probably mess up that Valor with the ripper, right? Cause we right, don't, we right, don't like right. to incorporate, uh, when we incorporate <clears throat> Valor into the soil, we're going to lose about 25% of our pigweed control. So we don't want to do that. It would have to go on after that. if You really wanted to get the most effect. Right, right. And then that's where, I mean, we're going to play with it a little bit. And I bet there's some farmers out there that's already done this. Right. But we are, I'm interested, you know, as we get developed things for not this year, but next year is, can we go in and burn down the strips, not the whole thing, but mm-hmm. the strips a little bit ahead so that you can run the ripper two weeks prior to planting and let that stuff warm up. And and why am I bringing this up is because we do have a lot of reduced tillage guys that would like to plant earlier, but you know, if I'm thinking of tomato spotted wilt, if we can get in early, but if we can get, we got to get a stand, mm-hmm. and that you know, thrips effect with of the of the cover might help us with virus if you want to plant early. But that's you know, we got to get we got to get the plants up, mm-hmm. and the cool wet soils. If it stays that way, it doesn't do us any good. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think there's there's been some work done with say. Uh, smaller hood hooded type sprayers where you could go in and band whatever width you wanted to to band. You, of course, you could spray Roundup or Paraquat there and kill what's there, and then go on from there. Uh, I think that would be easy. I mean, not easy, but sort of different than what we would be, be doing now, and just right, totally right. killing the cover crop and then coming and stripping it. So, because you could always, I mean, if that worked, right, kill the strips, get it tilled in, and ripped. And then you still have green in the row mm, middles. Right. You know, you could kill the rest of that when right. behind the planter. That's right. So. And then there's also, if you think about planting a small grain cover, you could always, um, if you figured it out good enough, you could cover your your drill hole so you weren't planting in those strips. Mm. And then those would be a little wider gaps that you would then come in and strip till. And now, of course, if you didn't have a crop there, it's possible that you could have more winter weeds coming in because you right. didn't have any competition from the small grain that was planted. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do some things that we're probably not doing now. Right, you know, right now it's more like we're gonna we're gonna spray a burn down and then we're gonna come in and strip and then we're gonna uh, spray herbicides after we strip to clean everything up and start fresh. Right now that doesn't help us on burrow bug though, does it? No, but I, I want I got a radish question. Mm-hmm. Seems like radishes are year round. Now, I mean, they didn't used to be like that, right? It, it and what's what's going on? It, and it's interesting question, Mark. I've, I've, we've gotten that a lot over the last couple, several years. So this will be, as I mentioned when we were talking prior, this will be my twenty fifth growing season in Georgia. 
when I first got here, you typically would see it emerge in the fall and then it would die in the spring. And then now it's an, you know, which we would call a winter annual. Mm -hmm. And so you got winter annuals, they germinate in the fall and die in the spring. And then you got summer annuals that germinate in the spring and die in the fall. So it was a, was a true winter annual. Well, for whatever reason, and it's probably because of, you know, man influences everything, right? Everything that we do in, on an environment causes mother nature to change or evolve, whatever you want to call it. And so now we're seeing it throughout the year. In fact, I even have started probably in the probably five or six, maybe 10 years. I'm actually rating it now as a weed in peanut where mm -hmm. before I would never see it in peanut. And now it's one of the three or four species that I'm always in yeah. every corn plot that I've got in every peanut plot, I'm rating wild radish. Hmm. And, uh, I think it's just mother nature evolving to what we're doing, whether, whether it's tillage practices or whatever it is, um, it's just trying to fill a niche. Uh, so the radish that you're seeing during the growing season, is it germinating in the spring or is it basically becoming a perennial? Well, I think you're, no, it's not a perennial, but it's, it's, you're, you're getting new flushes of emergence from the seed that's produced now, right? You've got plants out there now that are flowering and producing pods. And then we're getting seedling emergence in May and June, mm -hmm. which didn't never, used to happen. Didn't used to happen. So is this and, and it's, it's interesting, just a just a quick aside, with wild radish, when it's a seedling, it looks almost identical to small flower morning glory. Oh really? All, I don't almost it's it's really hard to tell that when they're in the cotyledon stage or they've got two leaves that come out. They look so much alike, it's, you're, you're almost not sure which one is which. And, you know, we got to get down on our hands and knees. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure if that's wild radish or small flower morning glory. Let's wait for another leaf to come out. Can you taste <laughs> it? Uh, no, I, I, I've never tried that. Some, some, I mean, a lot of those brassicas have a, a bitter the, the, taste. smell and a taste. Yeah, I've never, I've never tried it. You probably, now you could you probably do that. Could. So you got to be an entomologist and think outside the box. <laughs> well, I had, it's funny. I had some friends in, friends in uh, graduate school that they would, they could tell the difference between some grasses by the way that they tasted. Mm -hmm. When I tried it, I was like, tastes like grass. grass. Yeah. I couldn't tell which one. Yeah. But anyway, that's been interesting. And in fact, it, it's become such a problem. Now we're, we're having to deal with that as a pest later in the peanut life cycle. Now, fortunately, the, the programs that we manage, the programs that we use tend to do pretty well on wild radish. So, you don't typically see a major problem, uh, but it, I've been in fields where you know, we've had to pull the trigger on something that we didn't normally have to do post-emergence. Is yeah, there a benefit to radish in the field, in the, like having in the winter? And can you can plant these, what is it, the daikon radish right. or something that's got the well, big root? For I, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess, you know, if you look at any weed, it's a free cover crop. But right? other than that, but other than nothing. that, I don't think okay. so. Uh, I I can't recall. I'm I'm going to assume it's a host. It's it's a host for tomato spotted wilt. I'm not sure. Thrips. Well, almost everything seems so, to be. But I know Philip Roberts is looking now at it as a bridge for tarnished plant bug. Right. There's oh. so many of them out there, and they I know they are collecting some now in the winter, and they're they're finding tarnished plant bug right. on wild radish. So, so is that something you could use, like a harmony or something, to kill it out early? Well, 2,4-D, the, the Roundup 2,4-D okay. that uh, we typically use is going to be good enough for okay. wild radish. So we, there are other things that we can do, but but we don't have to go to that extreme. 
Uh, okay. You know, the problem that we have is that with with burndowns is is you go, if you drive around now, you've got knee tall wild radish that's flowering. Right. right? So right. it's harder to kill that. You know, as we talk about all the time, the bigger the weed, the harder it is to kill. So, uh, but that one with a Roundup Two Four D. Um, so no, is, is that something we need easy. to be doing in November, December, and then coming back, cleaning it up a little that, bit more? Well, it, that's interesting. If you think about it, right, we are getting some soil erosion benefits from it, right, if, you're, right, if you think right. about it. And we haven't really, you know, if you look at the Mid-South, there's they're, they're more of a culture of doing things in the fall for winter weed management, and we've never been. You know, we haven't had any major problems controlling weeds in the early spring. Um, but we don't typically, uh, we're trying to get growers to do things after corn harvest to manage pigweed and uh, tropical spiderwort. And just by chance doing that will help manage. If you do the one program that I like, you will get some fall control of wild radish right. as well. But that's not, you know, that's not everybody. Not everybody, you know, when, the problem for us is when we're in the fall, we're picking cotton, right? So nobody's thinking about spraying herbicides in the fall when you're trying to get your cotton in and your peanuts. Well, I mean, I'm just going back to, you know, if there is a correlation with this and other things, what are we, you know, what can we do? Now, what about tropical spider ward? <clears throat> I mean, where, where are we at there? It's getting worse as well. Well, it's, that was, that pest has been interesting, right? Just brief history didn't. Back in two thousand, the early two thousands, it's when we really started working on it. We didn't even really know what it was. We there are six. If you didn't know it, there are six species of Camelina, which is the which is the genus in Georgia, and there's two others that look alike. And we we were believe it or not, we weren't even at that time pigweed wasn't even on our radar, right? We were so focused on working on tropical spiderwort, which technically now the name's been changed to Bengal dayflower we were spending so much time, all of our time and almost, we did almost all of our work in Grady County because that was the hot spot. Stanley was working on it in cotton. I was working on it in corn and soybeans and peanuts. And we found some things to work and they still work to today. What we basically learned 20 years ago still works today. In the last couple of years, I've reevaluated some of our treatments and they still work pretty, pretty good. So I think we have a good handle on it. It is a wet weather weed, though. So when we get wet weather, it likes to do well. And the other negatives of wet weather is residual herbicides don't last as long. So it's a double-edged sword. Right? You get a, an environment that's favorable to that weed, and then you're going to, because it's rainy and wet, herbicides are either going to run off or leach or break down faster uh, than they would if it was more what, whatever normal is. Um, so that, that's it. that weather, wet weather can hurt you. Okay. For so this is a question for both of y'all. Um, from one, I'm thinking about burrow bug, but I'm thinking about anything else that might be a problem, uh, even even southern corn rootworm to some degree, and then your weeds. We are fixing potentially to go, we'll be about the same amount of acres this year, maybe bumping up a little bit, depending on what cotton does from now until planting time. If we jump up a good many more acres, I'm just kind of throwing out a what if thing here and we go to having to plant peanut behind peanut again where does that put us on those kind of like pests like i talked about but also weeds and what we can put on them how's what what does that do to our situation how do you approach that do do you want to go more well yeah i can i mean 
from the from the standpoint of the insects we deal with in peanut, reducing our increasing our acres and messing up our rotations probably doesn't matter that much. And the reason is because the insects that we're dealing with, rootworm, for example, doesn't overwinter in the field. It overwinters as an adult and it overwinters in the woods and under trash and around buildings and whatever. And so they're going to go into host plant fields in the spring and lay their eggs. And in the case of rootworm specifically, we think that the first generation is going into corn mm. mostly. And okay. so what we see is that peanut fields that are next to corn are the ones that are most heavily infested. And so what was there the previous year doesn't matter as much as what's beside it this year. Now, what what dictates or what influences how many overwintering beetles they're going to be, maybe the amount of peanuts and how many beetles were produced in peanuts and the amount of corn and how many beetles were produced in corn has an impact. And then the, the winter weather has an impact on how many of those survive. But the just reducing rotation in and of itself probably doesn't affect rootworm that much. There are other pests that we maybe don't know as much about in peanut anyway, like wireworm. We have wireworms everywhere and there's a lot of wireworm research that's been done in other crops Wireworms are a problem in peanut, but there's not been a lot of research done on it. And there are some species for which rotation is important because they spend multiple years in the ground. There are other species, and in fact, most of the ones that we deal with here in Georgia have a, either a single year life cycle or they have multiple generations in a single year, in which case rotation doesn't matter as much for them either. Burrow or bug can overwinter in the field. Um, what the impact of having peanut behind peanut would be there, it's hard to say because we've gone in intentionally and planted peanuts in fields that had burrow or bug infestations the previous year to do research and not had burrow or bug infested and not, not had a problem in the peanuts that we planted into a very heavy previous and, and the conditions seemed fine, right? There was nothing about the weather or the environment or the field that we it seemed like it would be okay. not yet. No, the burrowbugs won't do well, and here's why. And they just didn't. So I don't know. I, I'm not as concerned about it from that standpoint. There's lots of bad reasons for peanut behind I, peanut. Sure. sure. Fortunately I've, for the insect side, that's not one of them. I've got, okay. I've got two. If, if we're talking about planting peanuts after peanuts, number one would be how do we control volunteer peanut in a planted peanut? Cause as you know, it's as you, interesting. We would, Those are bonus. That's bonus. <laughs> peanuts, right? So, but yeah, but they're not in the, they're not, they're not in the, they're not in the row. Right. So they're causing a problem with digging and stuff, but you know, it's impossible to control a volunteer peanut in a peanut because obviously it's still a peanut. And then the other one for me would be the herbicide resistance because we, we know that with herbicide resistance, if we spray um, the same mode of action for as little as three years, you can do, and allow weeds that escape that to produce seed that we could get resistance within a three-year period. Now, fortunately for us, I think a lot of our growers, since we've been dealing with resistance now since 2000, the year 2000, that many growers will go into those fields and hand weed or do something with those few that escape the the uh, control programs that we're doing, and that's that's great to be able to go. Even though it costs time and money, but if you've got this, this take pigweed, 
we know they produce 500,000 seed, the females. And then uh, if you've got a couple of those out there and you get them before they produce seed, you just saved yourself a lot of trouble somewhere down the line. And what if that one plant that's in that field that you don't get happens to be the one that has the resistance in it that Mm -hmm. we don't want, right? And you let that go and then it dropped all those seed back into the soil and that's how resistance spreads. Right, right. Well, hopefully we, you know, if you're going peanut behind peanut, the first thing you do is make sure we're turning that land. That'll help you out quite a bit. But I know there's a lot of people that don't turn their land anymore. And so we're just going to take it as is and see what happens. But know that you've got to build a program. And I, you know, and it's a complete program. You can't, if you're going to do that, you can't not take soil samples. You can't not fix the issues that you've got. And you have to manage all the pests. I mean, you've got to do that, and it may cost you more. So we just got to see how they how they go and and all. But um, I make a since you brought up tillage, sure. I just want to because this has come up in our meetings. So we we mentioned when we talk about weed control, we have our program approach, which is you know a general approach, and then we tailor it to specific crop. But part of that is using tillage cover crops or herbicides, and so. It's, when we talk, of course, tillage is a bad to some folks, right? Tillage is, uh, they don't want to do tillage and that's fine. We can do it without it. But they ask, well, why does tillage help? Basically when we plow or invert the soil, we're burying seeds deeper. Uh, and they, they have, they can, depending on the size of the seed, they cannot, they don't have enough energy to emerge when you bury those seed. And so that's why tillage works for weed control. How depth, how deep does it matter? It depends on the, the weed species. You know, some weeds can be buried as little as two or three inches and they're going to have trouble coming up. And then some going to be like four or five or six inches, depending on how big the weed seed is. So that, that's what happens. You're burying that seed and it doesn't have enough energy to make it through the soil. And we don't recommend doing as, and it fits nicely in our peanut rotation. If we're on a three, a three or four year rotation, we don't want to turn and maybe once every three or four years because right. if you keep keep turning then you're just bringing weeds back up to the soil right surface. you're not giving it time to do what it right. needs to and usually it takes a couple of years right and and that's what we're on one every three years and i've even talked with people that's trying to find ways to cut back is can we go to every other peanut time i mean peanut rotation mm-hmm. to bottom plow and 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 not do it every time that right. we go in but we hadn't had enough opportunity to do that kind of research because that that takes a long takes time, a long time. Yeah. and we can't necessarily do that here on the station right and so i've asked people around that if if they've got a you know a two tower pivot or three tower pivot that they want to work with us and they're rotating cotton and peanut every every two to three years uh, every other year um peanut there every two years would work out real nice with mm-hmm. this um but we got to have some people willing to help us do that. And we'll, we'll help mediate some of the losses, which we hope there's not that much. Uh, but we, we want to be able to answer those questions for people, but we got to find a place to do it. Um, problems out there on the road. What are we seeing out there? What are you hearing out there uh, at some of these meetings? I know I, I hate to say this, but you know, we want all growers to come out to our production meetings and, some counties, we just—I don't know if uh, they don't think we come out and help, or whatever it might be. 
but we're not getting a lot of good showing at one or two of uh, one or two of the meetings. I say two out of the twenty five I've done so far. Um, the number of growers have been down, but I tell you what, the rest of them, whoo, it's been pretty good. Yeah, and a lot of that's because a lot of those growers do understand that we are probably going to go up or stay the same, and we need to make sure that we're doing all. You know, that there's no big changes in recommendations. Um, but I would encourage everybody to come out uh, to these meetings. You know, it's not but a couple of hours out of your time, and you would get some some pretty vital information. I would think. Um, and and one of the things that I, you know, in addition to us giving information, it's an also an opportunity maybe to get some feedback on some things maybe that we weren't thinking about that could help us uh, steer some of our research. Uh, oh, I, I never thought about that. Let me take a look at it, and we'll get back to you next year. Yeah, and and one of the questions I'm already getting, and and we know that is everybody planted so late last year, so they are automatically wanting to get in the ground a little bit earlier. Uh, and so I've had some people say, all right, what varieties do I have a chance to plant that that may or may not be 06G or 06G? Well, the bad news is, is 80% of our seed stock is still Georgia's 06G. So we're going to have to work with it. And to work with it, we need to do, take that peanut RX and go through it or just listen to what we say. You're going to have to have thyme met with it. You're going to have to, control weeds you're going to have to control everything else that we need so that we can get a good early start we don't need to take this seed and put in a bad environment and think it's going to come up and do what it needs to so if you want something a little bit different than 06g to plant say in april the only good one that we got that's got the highest level of tomato spotted wheel is 12y most people don't want to hear that uh, i know we got a lot of industry folks that want to get away from it and i understand why and that's fine but right now we're trying to fight a situation you know a problem so the um, other than 12 why you might could go in with 16 ho it has a decent amount a decent level of virus maybe a little bit better in 06 you might could go with an AUNPL 17 um you know we've got some newer ones coming but we just gotta we gotta wait we gotta hold Hold off for another year or two. Now, some people this year are going to get a chance to look at some of the new varieties. Uh, Tifton VHG is going to be out there a little bit, and I'm talking about a little bit, but there are going to be some people get 20 or 30 acres here and there. Uh, that one's one that I think could, with still, I'm not talking about going away from thyme yet. I think you still have to have thyme yet, but Tifton VHG might could be planted a little early. Um, the Georgia 21 GR could handle being planted early. Again, these are so new, we don't have a lot of information, but I'm going off one year's worth of information. So, except for HG, I know it looks like it should. Um, we got a couple from Florida, the 52N, Flow Run 52N or Flow Run T61. Both of those seem to be okay on virus. So, yeah, we might can plant some of these a little early, but you can't do it from just throwing that those varieties and still going with a midicloprid or whatever that early season that you don't want to do, I mean, that you you choose to do and not want to do thymet. We still need to do thymet or push your plant date back. That's kind of the way I look at it. Or or suck it up and take it from spotted wilt, right? You I mean, gonna, that's you, right. That's your options, that's right? right? You, you know that if you plant early, I mean, it's, it's up to the grower. If they say, I'm not going to use thymet, well, then they better be prepared for potentially really high spotted wilt. Right. And, and if they know that going in and they don't want to use thymet, that's fine. I, you mentioned 12Y and 
if I mean, most people probably are aware of what you mean when they, you say that some of the industry doesn't like it or whatever, but 12Y is a really good peanut. And it does have good spotted wilt resistance. And so, I mean, if, if you're a grower thinking about planting something early and you said, well, what was Scott talking about? Well, the industry doesn't want it or whatever. But, I mean, you ought to you call your county agent and talk to them about 12Y because the, or talk to your other growers. And, there, you know, there's, there's management issues with 12Y, but it is got a really good resistance package. It's good on spotted wilt. Yeah, it yields really good. But you do have to manage. But you got to manage it. Right? That's, there's, that's there's one that you, you want to plant early. You that's don't, right. That's you the thing. You want to plant, plant, plant that one in June. Hey, guess no, what? No. Guess what? We had some people plant it in June mm-hmm. this past year, and <laughs> they let it go to 180 days, and they did fine. <laughs> but would I recommend that? No, um, <laughs> that's not what we want to do with that variety. But that variety might have been the only one they could have planted, and that's fine. Yeah, just know that you can't. You gotta you gotta go and eat Thanksgiving dinner and do some other things if you're gonna plant that early. Um, and you gotta let it go to 180 plus that days. Late, you mean? Yeah, that planting that late. late planting late. late. Um, usually this is a 150 day peanut, 155 yeah. really. It could be 160 day, or it could have. The good thing about 12 Y that we hadn't found with any other variety yet is that it holds on to the peanuts. It does not have problems with peg strength unless you have an issue, um, like a disease issue, but um, even that, it, it just looks good. And we're searching for that one. So, but I, I still don't like to see it late, uh, because we need to give it every opportunity to max out yields. Um, this whole company thing, not liking it again, I do not, I'm not saying anything bad about the companies cause I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. It makes sense. It doesn't make jumbos. It, you know, whatever. It doesn't meet the, the specs they need to sell and they get premiums. Hey, I understand that. And so what we're just trying to do is give growers an option. That's right. Uh, because we're still, and we got to do this for a couple more years. I think if we get a couple more years down the road, hey, we got some other varieties that can be planted early and got some better resistance and we're going to be in a better situation. But we've got to get there. And so that's where we're coming from. Uh, whether you're industry or growers, we're trying to dial in the best thing that we know that you can do right now. Um and so I know, again, people want to start planting early. We just got to do everything we can. We can't miss, you know, miss doing what we need to with the thymet, with the right variety and all that. But the only other thing, and again, I think it's too early to really harp on it right now, is, you know, the seed situation. Uh, I've gotten a lot of results back. They look good so far. We don't know what the total outcome of our seeds going to be for a while um, just keep keep up with us on that. Uh, I'm gonna let you know as I learn things, you know where we're gonna be. But uh, just just kind of keep up with us and and kind of. But if you're wanting these other seed, you better be getting with your groups and try to figure out what's available. Uh, because there's not a lot available, but you might be able to slip up and get a little bit here and there of one variety. Are you gonna say anything more? Mm-mm, no, no. I just, just I was around. just thinking you got. I mean, we're going. You're going to do a podcast every week. That's right. We don't have to cover it all. Today. No, no, we don't have to cover it all. <laughs> I'm just uh, what we were just trying to do today was just some of the questions that yeah. we were getting. Um, the biggest thing I would like for growers to do is come out for these next 23 meetings and come out and and participate with us. Me too. And if you're listening to the podcast and you think it's good, and I mean, obviously it's early, and so this is a little different than what you'll hear if you're listening in. In June or July, for example, but if you think there's value there, 
talk to your talk to other farmers about it because I think I know I didn't even know. I mean, it's part bad to admit. I, you know, podcast. Everybody's talking about listening to podcasts. I didn't listen to podcasts until I did, and then I was like, "Ooh, this is pretty cool." And you know, we get that blank stare from a lot of folks at the grower meetings when we talk about the podcast. So I think that there's a lot of there's an audience out there that's not listening to this that would if they were. So what all I'm saying is, if you're listening to it and you find value, share it with some of your friends. That's right. And let them know what what we're doing. You know, uh, one of the frustrating things about people not wanting to come on and listen when we're giving them every opportunity to is the fact that we are every day trying to come up with new things and new information and new, you know, providing the most up, up-to-date information so that they can be productive. That's the one thing, like, Mark, I remember Mark saying at several of the meetings, I'm here and the one thing I want is for you to make money. I want peanut farmers to make the most money they can possibly make growing peanuts. That's what I want, right? That's, that's your only that's, goal. That's my goal, right? That's my goal. That's we've, what we've got. That's nothing what makes me happy. Other than that is to is to help our growers make money. And I and I'm gonna say I don't care who you are and what kind of farmer you are. If you need help, come in. Come in. Bothers. And that's um. Well, I say bothers. You're not bothered. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not a bother. It's, it's not job. a bother. I, you know, I have people call me all the time. Well, I hate to call you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, or this, that, and the other. But guess what? If you need something, find us. Uh, all yep. you got to do is call your agent. They can get a hold of us. Um, stop us at these meetings. I tell you what, that, that, that brings up one thing. And I don't know how you <laughs> we So we do these two and three meeting a day type meetings. And most of them are either breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner or all three. And I tell you, the ones where we got all three... The, we don't have much time between the morning meeting and the lunch meeting to go and do things. But I tell you, if you're a grower and you got problems or you got something you need us to go see, man, we got two or three hours between lunch and dinner that we would we need to feel. Even right. if it's just a hey, let's let's go out and show you some of you know what I'm dealing with. I mean, look, at, I, I've got this problem. These big white perch specks, crappy, whatever you call it. <laughs> these things are all up in my pond. And I need them out of here. If you got a problem like that, I mean, you just let us know. Yeah, that's a hey, good. Just, that's a good way to do it. Just so you know, the weed science guys, we go to the. We are are big fans of the Georgia Public Library System. Yeah, and there are some awesome libraries all across South Georgia. That uh, when we we do these meetings and we have time to kill, we find the local library, go in there and and try to get some work done, but. A shout out to the Georgia Public Library. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's yeah. kind of cool. I don't know where else we have been. We've been in a lot of different yeah. places, but um, <laughs> we're not so cerebral. <laughs> well, that's why. No. See, we're, we're trying to solve even in between meetings. We're solving problems. Well, I'm trying to solve my sanity sometimes, <laughs> and so I gotta go and do whatever but, but, we need but, to. But all kidding aside, there's some. If you've not had the chance, if you if you go like uh, just like Grady County's got a great one. Got a great one. It's really great public libraries all across South Georgia. Oh, yeah. there's not, And now I'll tell you one thing else I want to throw out a shout out to one or two of the growers or or whoever they might have been for bringing children to our production meetings. You know, you would think, ah, oh, this is an adult thing, but this is where partly where you get into places or you get in situations where kids hear things and they go, you know, it sounds kind of cool. And so, yeah, bring kids out. I mean, it's, that's, it's that's what, the next. It's what made me want to be an extension specialist. Yeah. I mean, it's, and again, it may be you got a kid that says, hey, I'm leaving. I, my dad makes me pull weeds every year and this, that, and that. I'm leaving this stuff. <laughs> I don't want to do this. But then 
he come maybe come to a production meeting and see just how difficult it is to control a weed, and maybe he gets an idea of why we have to do the things we do. It may get somebody to stick around the farm, maybe. But I mean, I love that. I really do. I like um, to see them. It's unfortunately a lot of them are breakfast and lunch meetings. They can't go. They're in school. But yeah, it's we have seen. Right we have many seen a few. Yeah, children at, at the meetings this year has been cool. Um, and I'm gonna go in this Saturday. I've got to go up and uh, judge DPA projects. So that's gonna be a. Uh, uh, it's a day that I I give to the 4-H folks, but uh, we really enjoy that as well. But nevertheless, the um. Abney, so we're scratching we're, his head. He's, no, I'm, we're running long. I don't want to kill know. y'all with rambling, right? Rambling? Well, I don't know. But nevertheless, that's that's kind of what we had for today. I mean, Abney's got the door open, ready to go out already. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get going. But uh, I appreciate your time this week. Like I said, this is kind of our first episode is, is pulling the cobwebs out and trying to get everything sounding the way we want it to sound and get everything going again. So... Thank you for being a part of it. And like I said, this is all about the pod episode one, season one, season two, season two, episode one. All right. All right. We'll get this going. <laughs> season two, episode one. Thank you for being a part of it and be back in next week. We'll try to get a different topic going on that might not be related to our meetings, but um, we'll see what we got and we'll uh, bring you some more information. This is all about the pod. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.